0: Well, again, let me say a happy, happy, happy Mother's Day, rather. I don't always do a special Mother's Day message, but as Rod alluded to, we will be doing one this morning. Normally, we just stay on our usual track, and we're currently going through the Gospel of Mark, but you know, we've got a lot going on in the realm of parenting right now at the church, from our, our Thursday night parenting small group to this children's ministry expansion. I figured it would be a perfect occasion to sneak in a little message directed at the moms and dads, for that matter, but for parents. Now, that being said... Before we talk about mothers and parenting and all that good stuff, I want to first talk to you about Timothy. And know I'm not talking about one of the three Timothys at the church. I'm talking about Timothy from the Bible. Now, you're wondering what does that have to do with Mother's or Mother's Day, and you're going to have to humor me for a little bit. You'll see how that connects, where we're going in a little bit. But I want to begin our time this morning by painting a brief biographical sketch of of this faithful servant of the Lord, Timothy, from the Bible. I trust you've all at least heard of Timothy. He was Paul's top protege, his right-hand man. Paul even wrote two letters directly to Timothy, and they're in the Bible, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. But from Paul's other writings in the book of Acts, you'd be surprised how often Timothy comes up. He's all over the place in the New Testament. He's a significant figure. We can actually piece together quite a bit uh, about his life which is both fascinating and instructive, seeing that Timothy was really a model disciple of the Lord as well. So what I want to do to start us off is just to tie together some scriptures and paint a little portrait of Timothy. And again, you'll have to humor me. You'll see where we're going, how this connects. But we're just going to start off and talking about Timothy. Now, to begin, Timothy was born and raised in a town called Lystra. Unless you're up to par in your Bible geography, you probably have never heard of that before. You have no idea where that is. Well, last had, it's, it's like in south-central modern-day Turkey. It's up in the mountains, a little mountain community. It was a very diverse town back then, home to Greeks and Jews and Romans and native Lycaonians, they were called. And even though Timothy was born and raised there, he wasn't among the natives. Rather, his mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. So he was a mix. And under different circumstances, Timothy's life probably would have been like that of most people from Lystra. It's this tiny mountain community. You're born there, you live there, you die there. You don't really leave. But God had other plans for young Timothy. And everything changed for him one day when this traveling preacher showed up in town named Paul. And if you want to follow along from here, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 14. We'll be in there for a little bit. Acts chapter 14. Paul was about halfway through his first missionary journey. He's going from town to town, sharing the gospel. Acts chapter 14 begins with Paul in a town called Iconium, which is only 18 miles north of Lystra. However, some Jewish opponents in Iconium opposed Paul and they threatened to stone him, so he fled wisely to Lystra. Now, I want to, why don't you try and picture this from the eyes of Timothy. He's a young man, he's in his 20s somewhere. We don't know what he was doing at, a t- at the time, but all of a sudden one day, these two men stroll into town. They caused quite a stir. Travelers had told stories of this new religious group known as followers of Jesus of Nazareth, but no one had ever come to Lystra before preaching this news. Well, Paul and Barnabas enter Lystra, and Paul begins to open their preach, and quickly a crowd forms. They want to see what what this is all about, what he's saying. Everyone gathers to hear this man speak, and most likely Timothy is in this crowd watching Paul preach. And then something amazing happens. Paul unleashes the power of God before the people. If you're in Acts chapter 14, look at verse 8. Paul's in Lystra, and it says, At Lystra a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet, lame from his mother's womb, who had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke, who, when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had faith to be made well, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on your feet. And he leapt up and began to walk. And just like Jesus the apostles performed many signs and wonders which authenticated their message. And that's what Paul is doing here. When the crowd saw this, they were amazed at this power. So much so that they actually totally missed what Paul was actually trying to say. And keep reading verse 11. It says, When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they raised their voice, saying in the Lycaonian language, The gods have become like men and have come down to us. And they began calling Barnabas, Zeus, and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. I'm sure that's not what Paul had in mind. That's not what he was going for in preaching the gospel. And remember, this is a multicultural town. It was dominated by this Greek-Roman culture and even the natives had bought into the Greek gods. And so they see Paul perform this miracle. They think they're being visited by these gods that Zeus and Hermes have come down because how else do you explain this power? That's all they know. Of course, this isn't what Paul and Barnabas were going for. So he continues. He tries to reason with them. Verse 14. But when the apostles... Barnabas and Baal heard of it, they tore their robes and rushed out into the crowd, crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. In the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways, and yet he did not leave himself without a witness and that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Verse 18, even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. So this is quite a scene. Now, on the one hand, it, I guess it's good that the crowd is reacting like this because at least they're not trying to kill him. At least they think he's some messenger from God. It's just that they don't know who God is. They're still steeped in their pagan traditions, so Paul preaches and tries to correct them. We get the impression that if he had more time, by God's grace, he could even have won over this crowd. He could have convinced them. But there's another turn of events after this is happening. And remember, Timothy's watching all this. Do you remember where Paul just came from? He came from Antioch and then Iconium. And do you remember what almost happened to Paul while he was in Iconium? Well, some Jews were there. He was preaching to these Jews and they totally rejected what he was saying about Jesus being the Messiah. So they tried to stone him to death. And so Paul and Barnabas fled from Iconium to Lystra. They escaped. But now some of those same Jews, they have followed Paul from Iconium to Lystra. And this time they will succeed. Look at verse 19. This is a pretty amazing verse. After all this happens, the next verse says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. That's pretty striking. And these Jews easily took advantage of this crowd's high emotions and manipulated them into stoning Paul. Stoning has to be one of the most brutal ways to die. And how many bones are broken and limbs are crushed before the fatal blow? And they stoned Paul so thoroughly they thought he was dead. They left him for dead outside of the town. But this wasn't Paul's time to go. God had more work for Paul to do. And so look at the next verse, verse 20. It says, but while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derby. Okay, first, it's amazing that Paul got up. That, that's Okay, that's enough right there. But secondly, more amazing, he went back into the town. I don't know why he did this. I don't know why you would do this. But he went back into town. At least the next day, he and Barnabas left town. They went to Derby. But amazingly, amidst all this turmoil, God was still at work because several people came to salvation that day in Lystra through Paul's preaching. That being said, he still left. They left town. They go to Derby. Derby was the last stop on Paul's first missionary journey. After that, he turned around and did a total reverse path to go back home, which meant he passed through Lystra one more time. And we have recorded his final message to those brand new believers in Lystra. And look what he says to them. Verse 21. So he went off to Derbe and says, After they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Why do you think Paul needed to encourage these brand new Christians to continue in the faith? Well, look at what just happened to Paul. I mean, if you become a Christian, this might happen to you too. But he says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. Now, we can't be absolutely positive, but almost for certain, Timothy watched all of this happen. He witnessed all of this. And we do know that Timothy was among those who were converted at Paul's preaching the first time in Lystra. This is evident from the fact that Paul often refers to Timothy as his beloved and faithful son in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 4.17, as my true child in the faith, 1 Timothy 1.2. Timothy was Paul's spiritual child, meaning his convert. Timothy came to faith through Paul's preaching on that day in Lystra. But I want you just to stop for a minute and think about how profound The circumstances of Timothy's conversion were. He hears this man preach about Jesus. It sounds good. He he believes in his heart. But then he watches as the whole town gets together and then stones this man nearly to death. That's what they think about this new teaching about Jesus. But even, even still, Timothy still chooses to believe. He's listening to Paul. He's siding with the guy who was just nearly stoned to death for talking about Jesus. And Timothy's going uh, with that guy. I mean, that's crazy. And that's risky. What are the Jewish townspeople going to do to you next? Are they going to stone you now because you believe in what Paul was saying? That was a, a real question you had to face back then for becoming a Christian. But still, Timothy's faith was real. God worked in his heart such that he believed. He believed that Jesus really was the Messiah. All those prophecies were fulfilled. It makes perfect sense. It's undeniable. Timothy understood Jesus really is the way, the truth, the life. There's no reconciliation with God apart from him. Timothy came to believe all that, so much so that he was willing to risk his own life over it now. He really was a young man of true inspiring and amazing faith. And from the first day, by definition, he was ready to risk life and limb for his faith in Christ. Who knows what was going to happen to him after what just happened to Paul, but he counted Jesus worth it already. And he stayed true to Christ. And Timothy would go on to suffer for the Lord a lot. Right from conversion, he was ready to stand for the truth and to live rightly for Christ, even if that meant being persecuted, and he was heavily persecuted. Later in 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to him, and he says of Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 12, Paul says to him, Now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, perseverance, persecutions, and sufferings, Such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Timothy knew that. He desired to live godly in Christ Jesus. He was persecuted, just like Paul. In more ways than one, Timothy was ready to give his life for the Lord. Well, just going back in your mind to Timothy's conversion. So Paul, he's now going back home. He has to leave town. And so he's leaving behind this new little group of Christians in Lystra. Just think about that. They're brand new converts. They don't have a New Testament. They've got their Old Testament and this little bit that they've heard about Jesus from Paul. And then he's gone. But they stay true. They stick together. They meet together. They study the Old Testament together. They suffer together in Lystra. For two to three years, now fast forward, two to three years, Paul comes back. He's now setting out on his second missionary journey. And the goal here is to revisit all those churches he first started to strengthen them, to encourage them, see how they're doing after these years. In Acts chapter 16, turn the page to Acts chapter 16. This is where he gets back to Lystra the second time. And what does he find? Well, he finds Timothy. Look at Acts 16, verses 1 and 2. Second missionary journey. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Here we see Timothy. What had Timothy been doing for the past two to three years? where he had been faithfully devoting himself to the Lord and the Lord's service, so much so that he was well known as a young man of God. Paul was so struck by Timothy and his unfeigned faith that he asked him, right then and there, to join him on his missionary journey. It's like, hey, come with me. Right now, pack your bags. You're going to leave everything behind. You're going to leave your family behind. Just, will you come with me right now? And Timothy said, yes. He was that committed. He was ready to leave it all behind. And follow Paul on a hard road of preaching the gospel. And get this, Paul even asked Timothy to get circumcised so that he would be more able to to minister to the Jewish believers or to Jews in general. And Timothy said yes. So let me just say that's dedication right there. You agree to that, those terms, that's some dedication. I mean, look at verse 3. Speaking of Timothy, it says Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And that basically that had to be done to open the doors, otherwise they wouldn't even listen to Timothy if he wasn't a real Jew, they thought. Well, from here on out, you can trace the remainder of Paul's missionary endeavors. And you'll notice Timothy was always by his side the whole way through. He was a true servant and partner of the gospel. In fact, Paul includes Timothy in his customary greetings in seven of his 13 letters in the New Testament. Not to mention the two that were written directly to Timothy. So Timothy was a big New Testament figure. Timothy was like Paul's arm in the ministry. He extended Paul's reach. He was able to minister to many churches on Paul's and the Lord's behalf. Timothy faithfully accepted every assignment given to him. And whenever Paul was imprisoned or incapacitated, Timothy just kept on going, kept on ministering on Paul's behalf, really on the Lord's behalf, all the way through. Speaking of later on, after Paul's first Roman imprisonment, Paul appointed Timothy to be the pastor of the church at Ephesus you know, the book of Ephesians, Timothy was pastoring that church later on. Timothy stayed in Ephesus for quite some time. And while Timothy was in Ephesus, that's when Paul wrote to Timothy twice. And those two letters are in the Bible. First Timothy, second Timothy. Those were written when when Timothy was pastoring the church at Ephesus. Paul was giving him some, some wisdom about how to shepherd that church. And what Paul says of Timothy in 2 Timothy is especially striking. Because 2 Timothy was Paul's last letter ever. It's the last one he ever wrote, 2 Timothy. He wrote it during his second Roman imprisonment. This time it was different. This time Paul knew he was going to die. This was the end of the line. He knew it. And to make matters worse, Paul was mostly alone in Rome. He had been deserted. Only Luke was with him. And so he writes to Timothy one last time to summon Timothy to himself, give him a little encouragement while he's in prison. And what does that say about Timothy? Of all the people, Paul counted Timothy that just the only one he wanted by his side, his child in the faith, his longtime friend, to be there to encourage him before he dies for the Lord. And Timothy was that guy. He stayed true to Paul, to the Lord, his whole life from that day and life on until the end. Nothing further is known of Timothy in Scripture, but Paul himself perfectly captured the character of Timothy back in Philippians, his letter to the Philippians. And there in Philippians 2, Paul recounted the character of Timothy and the example of Timothy as a model disciple. Let me read for you Philippians 2, verses 19 through 22. Where Paul says to the Philippians, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. He says, For I have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know of his proven worth, that he served me with me in the furtherance of the gospel, like a child serving his father. Well, that, that's a great testimony. There's nothing more valuable than proven character. Proving character. Over the years, you're, you're golden. And by God's grace, Timothy had proved himself time and time again. He, he was just all in to faithfully serving the Lord, to faithfully just giving up his life for the Lord. Timothy truly modeled what it looked like to deny self, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus. I mean, you want an example of that? Look at the life of Timothy. He wasn't seeking his own personal interest. He he wasn't doing all this for, for his own glory or fame. He sacrificed this life for the next. He was just pouring out this life for the furtherance of the gospel, for the glory of God, for the next life. As a final note, church tradition tells us how Timothy died. Tradition says that after Paul died, Timothy went back to Ephesus. And he continued ministering there with the Apostle John for quite some time. In the year 8097, Timothy was 80 years old. And at that time, he tried to put a stop to a pagan procession to honor the goddess Diana by preaching the gospel. But the angry pagan crowd turned on him. They beat him. They dragged him out of the town. And they stoned him to death. Now, if that's true... If that's true, then in the end, Timothy died the same way he saw Paul nearly die at his conversion. I mean, you remember? It's pretty striking. All those years ago, at his conversion, he was forced to count the cost of following Jesus. He sees Paul get stoned nearly to death. And you have to ask yourself, if I'm going to follow Jesus, that might happen to me. Is it worth it? I mean, am I going to still do this? It might cost you your life, and in the end it it did cost Timothy his life, but from the beginning he said, well, no, it's worth it. it, It's definitely worth it because who else can grant you eternal life? Do not fear those who can kill the body. Fear Fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. He feared the Lord, and he valued Christ. Like Paul, Timothy fought the good fight. He finished the course, and he kept the faith. So we'll leave it at that. That's a brief biographical sketch of this faithful servant of the Lord, Timothy, from the Bible. He really was a model of faith and faithfulness, what it looks like to lay down your life to serve the Lord. Now at this point, you're probably back to wondering, okay, sounds nice, but what does it have to do with Mother's Day? I haven't mentioned any mothers so far. Like, what's the deal here? Well, first let me just point out this quickly on the side. First, isn't this the type of son you would want to the mothers? I mean, that's a yes, right? If you're a godly Christian woman, then there's nothing more that you want than your son to, to turn out like this, right? I mean, sure, he wasn't rich or successful in the world's eyes, but in God's eyes, there are few greater. You want your children to grow up and share your love for the Lord, and even better, you want them to serve the Lord. So just imagine having a child that grows up like Timothy and is so faithful to the Lord, and impacts the world. Timothy was a big deal. We don't give him any glory, because God gets all the glory. But look how God used him to have such a huge impact. Just think of the joy of having a child who so faithfully poured out their life for the Lord. So you could say, first, Timothy was a model Christian son. But here's what I really want you to consider. Here's where I was really going with all this. If you were to have a conversation with Timothy and you asked him, Timothy, who did God use the most in your life to lead you to the Lord? Who did God use the most to bring you to faith? Who would he say? You're probably thinking the Apostle Paul, but that's not the answer. That's wrong. Specifically, there were two other people whom God used to bring Timothy to faith. Of course, Timothy owes everything to God's sovereign grace, but humanly speaking, he owes a lot to these two people. We could say at a human level, if it weren't for these two people, Timothy never would have responded to Paul preaching the gospel back in Lystra. So now you're wondering, who are these two people? Who are these two influences in Timothy's life? And if you cheated and looked at the bulletin and saw the sermon title, you already know the answer. It is his mother and grandmother. Not his mother and father, his mother and grandmother. Let's do this now. Turn to 2 Timothy. Chapter 1. 2 Timothy. Chapter 1. After First Second Thessalonians. 2 Timothy chapter 1. I want you to listen to Paul's own testimony, which surely Timothy would have agreed with. As Paul begins his letter to Timothy, he makes mention of Timothy's mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. And as a quick side note, this is the only mention of the word grandmother in the Bible. So there you go, grandmas, this is your verse. But 2 Timothy 1, verse 5, and he says of Timothy, or rather to Timothy, he says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt, in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. Now, we actually encountered Timothy's mother back in Acts 16, but she wasn't named. She was just said to be a Jewish believer. Timothy's father, though, was a Greek, and he was not a believer. But this didn't stop his mother and his grandmother from pouring into him and teaching him about God, even from a young age. And you can tell the spiritual influence that his mother had on him by his name. The name Timothy, do you know what it means? In the Greek, it means one who honors God. And that name definitely wasn't picked by his father. Timothy came to have a true and sincere faith. We've already seen that by his life. But Timothy can trace his spiritual heritage back to his mother and his grandmother. For they had... That true faith first. Verse five. You see the word sincere. That word literally means without hypocrisy. These women were genuine, true believers. They, Paul knew them by name, because they too most likely came to accept Jesus as Savior that day when Paul preached. That first time he preached in Lystra, they came to accept Christ as well. But even before Paul visited, these women were true Jewish believers. And they raised Timothy to be that way as well. Turn the page to 2 Timothy chapter 3, and look at this verse, verses 14 and 15, 2 Timothy 3. He says next, "...you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus." Here's Paul's admonition to Timothy later, basically to stick to Scripture, cling to these sacred writings, the Old Testament. Timothy needs to continue in everything he's learned, knowing from whom he has learned them. And that little phrase, from whom, it's in the plural. It's not just talking about Paul. He's not talking about himself only. There were other key spiritual influences in Timothy's life. And verse 15 makes very clear that Paul was actually talking about His mother and his grandmother. Paul wasn't around during Timothy's childhood, but these two women were. It was his mother and his grandmother who fed him a steady diet of spiritual milk from his youth. In fact, that word childhood in verse 15 literally means from infancy. So, as young as Timothy could understand, they started feeding him the pure milk of the word. So, when you think about it, Paul didn't do nearly as much for Timothy as his mother and grandmother did. Look, Paul came along one day in Lystra and he preached Christ. He was like a farmer watering a field. And Timothy sprung to life, he responded. But that's because, humanly speaking, his mother and his grandmother had been faithful to till and fill the soil of his heart with spiritual seeds of Scripture from his youth for decades. They had been planting seeds of Scripture in his heart for years and importantly, these, these ladies, they got Scripture right. They knew the Old Testament well. They taught Timothy the Old Testament well. So much so that when Paul came and preached Jesus as the Messiah from the Scriptures, it made perfect sense. They, they came to believe. It was a no-brainer. Of course Jesus is the Messiah. They believed. Paul came along, and he was the catalyst to Timothy's faith in Christ. But his mother and grandmother laid the real foundation by implanting him with God's Word throughout his entire childhood. And again, God gets all the glory because he's ultimately sovereign in salvation. But humanly speaking, this is what God wants us to do. This is his desire for parents to simply be faithful to raise up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And these two women were so faithful for so many years. And so now I take it you see the tie-in with Mother's Day why we labor to tell you about Timothy's life and on a human level, who he owes it to. It's just an encouraging example of what God can do through faithful mothers and grandmothers. This is not to say that fathers are excluded. Certainly all of this applies to fathers as leaders of their family. But even in households where there is no father, or maybe there's no believing father, God still blesses his word that is faithfully implanted in young hearts by mothers, grandmothers, grandparents, and so on. I mean, God intends for fathers to take the lead in the spiritual formation of their children. But sometimes mothers end up having the greater impact. And that's okay. It's a team affair, so it doesn't really matter. But sometimes mothers have the greater impact. And now as you reflect on these two ladies, Lois and Eunice, there's really some, some impactful lessons to learn from them. And these two ladies modeled God's main command for parents to train up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And they did that. They got it right. And God blessed the results. So it's worthwhile for us to reflect on exactly what they did for Timothy so that we may likewise influence our children for the Lord. And with the little bit of time we have left, that's what we're going to do. I want us to reflect on what these ladies did, how we can learn to, likewise, influence our children for the Lord. I'll generalize generalize this now and apply it to parents and grandparents, male, female, doesn't matter, just all parents. But let me just suggest to you, just based off what we know about Lois and Eunice, I'm going to give you four ways you can influence your children for the Lord so that you might have an impact on eternity. These not the only ways, but four ways you can influence your children for the Lord so that you can have a similar impact on eternity. Start with this. Number one, have the right desire for your children. Have the right desire for your children. You have to start off the level of your desires, and you have to get your desire right for your children. Parents desperately want their children to succeed. At least at something. I think for most of us, this stems from our own internal pride. Our children reflect us. If they succeed, it makes us look good. If they fail, it makes us look bad. So some parents really want their kids to succeed. They will go to any length to help them succeed in the world's eyes. This could be academic success. So they push them to study hard, get into the best college. This could be financial success. You have to be a doctor, a lawyer, just, just get rich somehow. This could be athletic success. You've got to get that college scholarship. You've got to be famous. You've got to be the best. And the list goes on, but most parents, they're willing to seriously sacrifice to help their kids succeed. That's not inherently wrong. There's nothing wrong with that per se, but all those things are only profitable in this life. You have to get straight what really matters for your kids in the end, what's eternal. It's like Paul told timothy in his first letter listen to first timothy chapter 4 verses 7 and 8 paul said to him discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness for bodily discipline is only of little profit but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also the life to come that's called priorities so listen here's a question That will actually, it will challenge you. It will test your faith if you really believe. What good is a Harvard degree if your kid still goes to hell? I mean, it's it's kind of a radical question, but it's actually fair to ask, isn't it? And it really confronts your faith. Do you really believe in God and the gospel and all this stuff, this Christianity stuff? Do you really, really believe this? Because if you do, then, hey, what what matters more than the salvation of your children? That they too may share what you have. I mean, nothing. Nothing matters more. It doesn't matter in the eyes of God if if they don't go to a good college, they don't strike it rich, they don't become famous. God doesn't care. What matters is that they know Him and they serve Him. Look at Timothy. His life was poured out. He was a failure in the eyes of the world. Yet God would say of him, well done, good and faithful servant. And you've got to get it right starting with the desire. You have to have the right desire. You've got to steer the ship in the right direction. Have the right goal. Otherwise, what's the point? What are you aiming after in your parenting? But start here. Have the right desire for your children, for their salvation, for their sanctification. Secondly, to accompany that, number two, have a high view of the word have a high view of the Word. If you believe that nothing is more important than the salvation of your children, then second, you better have a high view of the Word because that's how God is going to lead them to know Him. That, that's the means by which they will come to know God. Like Romans 1.16 says, not ashamed of the gospel, for that's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. Or like Paul said to Timothy in the next verse, Are you still in 2 Timothy 3? If so, look at verse 16. It's that famous verse that you know where he says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You know that verse, but now do you realize what context it comes in? Paul says that right after highlighting the faithfulness of Timothy's mother and grandmother. To impart the scripture to Timothy. See, these ladies, they understood that Scripture was profitable for all things, that it came from God, that it imparts godly wisdom that can lead someone to salvation in Christ. The power is in the word, and the word is sufficient. They believe that. And you have to believe that as well. You have to realize that and believe that. You don't need self help books, you don't need pop psychology or parenting one on one from the world. They have such a low view of the Word. Why would you listen to them? And look how their kids are turning out. Look at the parenting of the world right now. Isn't it in utter chaos? You don't need that. You have to see the value of God's Word in imparting life-changing truth to your children. And that's how God works. His Word goes out, and it doesn't return to him void. So have a high view of the Word. And then it's just a matter of number three, be faithful to feed them the Word. Be faithful to feed them the Word. I know we're summarizing here, but you've got to start first at the heart level. You've got to get your goal right, which is their salvation, and then the means to that goal right, which is the Word. You get that right, then it's just a matter of being faithful to feed them the Word, to implant the Word in their hearts. Like a farmer who's just constantly scattering the seed on their soil, praying that one day it will come to life. God must do a work in them if they are to be saved. And you can't control that, but you're not held accountable to that. Biblically speaking, parenting success is not defined by results. Because you can't control the outcome. You can't make your children believers. Rather, parenting success is simply defined by faithfulness. Faithfulness to simply do what God calls you to do. And a lion's share of that calling is to feed your children the Word. Again, Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Or that key verse in Deuteronomy 6, talking to parents, speaking of God's Word, says, You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. It's all the time, in part, God's Word to them. We don't have time to fully flesh out what this looks like, but it's not rocket science. Spend time reading the Bible to them. Read the Bible with them. Teach them to love God's Word. Tell them about God. Tell them more than just, Jesus loves you, so love Him back. Or hey, make sure you invite Jesus into your heart. Give them some substance. Give them the whole counsel of God's Word at a level they can digest. Even letting them know Slowly but surely, their sin problem, their rebellion against God, their need for a Savior, who Jesus is, what He did. And share the gospel with your kids. That's what we're after. When should you do this? As soon as they can understand you, like Lois and Eunice did. And how often? All the time. You can turn almost any occasion with your kids or your grandkids into a teaching opportunity about the Lord. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you can, you can do it any time. Again, there's so much more we could add here, but I just want to stress the importance and the value of spiritually influencing and instructing your children. Just be faithful, like Lois, like Eunice. Just be faithful. This is the most important thing. Like C.S. Lewis said, children are not a distraction from more important work. They are the more important work. This is all the more pertinent now for mothers and grandmothers. Our society has shifted now where Women are told that they're only valuable in society as individuals if they have high-profile careers, if they earn an income, if they leave the house. And while some moms have to work due to economic hardship, don't buy the lie that staying at home and pouring into your kids makes you inferior as a woman. That's just a lie. To the contrary, motherhood and fatherhood are the two most important jobs on the planet. That's your chance to do some eternal work. And sure, you could forsake the family, get a degree, make some more money, but that's all fleeting. None of that will last or satisfy, but your children are eternal. They will live forever, either with God or separated from God. And God calls you to have a role in that, so embrace that role. Again, there's so much more we could say on this topic, but just in reflecting on the example of Lois and Eunice with Timothy, they were faithful to feed him the Word. And we'll add one last way you can influence your children for the Lord, which they model as well. Lastly, number four, be faithful to live out the faith. Be faithful to live out the faith. If you ignore this step, you invalidate everything that came before you shoot yourself in the foot because children can smell phonies a mile away. And if you're a phony Christian yourself, they won't want any part of your hypocritical religion when they get older. Again, back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul commended Timothy and Lois and Eunice for their sincere faith. Remember that? Their sincere faith. Their non-hypocritical faith. They believed the truth and they lived it out. I mean, how essential is that in parenting? That you live it out. And the whole claim is that Christ can redeem your life and change your life and draw you to God, but if you're no different than those in the world, except that you wear a Christian mask on Sundays, your kids will see right through that and they won't want any part of your Christianity when they get older. Instead, you have to be real yourself first. You have to have a true faith yourself first. And you have to live it out. It doesn't mean you're perfect, because we're still sinners. But your kids need to see that mom or dad or grandma. They really love the Lord. They really walk with God. They talk to the talk. They walk the walk. They see you reading the Bible just because you want to. They see you praying for them, for others. They see you love the church. You wouldn't miss it for anything. And when they see you sin, they see you later humble yourself and repent and ask for forgiveness. In short, they just need to see Christ in you. So be faithful to live out the faith. This is all for God's glory, but it's also for the benefit of your kids. Your example is another huge way you can influence them for the Lord. Well, my goal in all this this morning has been to give you a little instruction and a little encouragement for especially the mothers and grandmothers, but all parents, to excel still more. I imagine, though, that upon hearing this, some of you might feel discouraged. I hope not, but I realize some of you, I don't know, might feel like a failure as a parent. You might feel insufficient. And I don't know your circumstances. I don't know what you do or don't do. But let me also add that it's literally never too late to start honoring the Lord with your life or your parenting. Whatever you've done in the past, it's never too late to start to get things right. I mean, look, if you've made mistakes, if you've fallen short as a parent or grandparent, if you've missed discipleship opportunities, join the club. We all have. Now, maybe you feel you've really dropped the ball, but pray earnestly to God for help. Resolve in your heart to change and just start putting into practice these principles. It's never too late to start honoring the Lord with your life and your parenting. And What matters most is that you press on. That you don't give up or give in to laziness or apathy. That you treat parenting like the most important work because it is the most important work. You can even take a cue from Timothy himself. Be like Timothy. Be faithful to the end. Despite hardships, persevere. And like his parents or his mother and grandmother, faithfully, incessantly, doggedly implant the Word in their heart. Then water them with prayer. Trust the Lord to cause them to grow. Well, you've done your part. You know, even if your kids are fully grown, you can still faithfully pray for them all the time. God honors that as well. Look, their salvation of your kids may not happen immediately. Even after decades of influencing them, they may not come to salvation. Maybe, though, they'll need someone else in their life, a catalyst like Paul. Someone else will come by, swoop in, and they'll be converted. Will you just honor the Lord by doing your part? Lay that foundation. Just be faithful while trusting God, and it will go well for you. Then you'll be making an eternal difference, and there's no greater work that you can do. Let us pray. Now, Father in heaven, this is... Mother's Day, but it is also the Lord's day. every day is yours, but it's a day we as Americans set aside to reflect and think and honor our our human mothers. we We do appreciate them and giving us mothers for those here who had godly mothers, all the more so we can thank you. Lord we do we lift up our mothers now, our, our grandmothers, also our fathers and grandfathers, none to be excluded, all of our parents, Lord. And myself included, we pray that you help all of us who have this role to take it so seriously. There is no more important work on the planet because we're dealing with lives. Forget a career, forget money. This is now playing with people's lives and people are eternal and you give us a role to play in guiding them toward you. Lord, we just pray that by your grace and by the spirit within, we can be faithful in this role. We're not perfect. We all mess up so often and we thank you for your grace that helps us even overcome that. But again, in, in empower us and inspire us to to excel still more, to do all that we can to shepherd them, to teach them the whole counsel of your word, to discipline them, to pray for them. We do that now, Lord. We pray for all of our children here at this church and in this church family, that you do indeed bring them to salvation, that they would love Christ as Savior and Lord as they grow older and would honor you with their lives. That is the greatest gift you can give to any parent. We pray that always. And bless us, church, as we take seriously parenting and in therefore children's ministry may you bless us as we minister to these kids help us to do the right thing to play our part as a church family in pouring into them and that one day our prayer and hope is that you would bring them to life well thank you for our time this morning and we thank you for our mothers may we have a a blessed day in the lord in christ's name we pray amen